Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello, everyone, and welcome to New Books in East Asia. In this podcast, I speak with Pilis Chan about her latest book, The Making of a Modern Outworld, Institutionalization and Legitimization of Gohua in Republican Shanghai, published by Brill in 2017. The Making of a Modern Outworld investigates the production and consumption of Gohua or national painting in Shanghai between 1929 and the outbreak of the Second Sino-Japanese War in 1937. Defining the art world as sociologically constructed, Pedis Chan's systematically researched book focuses on collective practices of artists and art associations, periodicals, art colleges, exhibitions, and the art market, all of which contributed to the institutionalization and legitimization of Guohua in Republican Shanghai. Based on extensive primary source material, Chan lays bare the modus operandi of a modern art world in Republican Shanghai during that period. The book is thus an indispensable resource for anybody working in the field of 20th century Chinese painting, highlighting the changing hierarchies, networks, and discursive practices that constituted Republican Shanghai, Guohua. Welcome to the show, Pedith. Thank you. Why don't you start out by telling us a little bit about yourself? Uh, I'm Pat Chan, and currently, currently I'm an assistant professor of cultural management of the Chinese University of Hong Kong. Uh, before I joined the Chinese University of Hong Kong, I work as an uh, assistant professor for cultural and heritage management at the City University of Hong Kong. And uh, in the late 1990s, uh, I also got a, a four-year curatorial experience uh, with the Hong Kong Museum of Art. And uh, my research interest, interest uh, centered on um, um, uh, the production and consumption of art in modern and contemporary China. So tell us how you came to write uh, the making of a modern art world in Republican Shanghai. Yeah. Um, the book actually is developed from my PhD dissertation. And uh, my interest in the Republican period um, um, uh, actually is uh, uh, based on my res- uh, archival research in Shanghai. Uh, when I was uh, conducting archival research in Shanghai, I encountered a lot of um, primary materials, including magazines, newspapers, and uh, uh, uh Cat- exhibition catalogs. Um, these material uh, tell a very different stories about the narrative of modern Chinese art. And um, firstly, um, we can see that from this material, there's a lot of people uh, involved in the production and consumption of art in Republican period. And uh, a lot of this name are not actually uh, mentioned in the standard art history book. And uh, secondly, we can see that uh, from this material is that um, um, 
dominance of Guohua in the field. And uh, as we know from the uh, standard narrative of Chinese art history, uh, it always mentioned that uh, Guohua was under attack. And uh, however, the material tells that uh, Guohua actually a dominance in the in the in the art world, uh, particularly like in uh, the metropolitan city Shanghai. And um, uh, lastly, the material also tells that uh, a group of people they call themselves um, a art community, or they are from the art world, actually exist in uh, Shanghai. So uh, I uh, uh, I'm quite interested is to reconstruct the uh, operational logic and also the uh, the practice, uh, the discursive practice in uh, this period, how the artists thought and how they uh, determine their art- artistic style and how um, uh, they are. Uh, artistic practice are constrained by social structure and also by uh, different kind of factors. And I hope that it, which can give a uh, very different perspective for us to understand um, the Republican art world. Mm. And the book has a considerably small time span covering the eight years between 1929 to 19. Why don't you Tell us a little bit more about why you chose these dates in particular and why they're so crucial for what it is you're doing in this book. Mm-hmm. Um, I chose uh, the 19 decades. Uh uh, approximately actually is the 19 decades from the 1927 to uh, 1937 uh, because this period is the golden period in Republican period uh, in uh, politically is relatively stable after the consolidation of power uh, from the uh, nationalist government and I said 1929 because uh, I think sometimes the predicate periodization of uh, art history is a little bit different from the political history. Um, um, uh, for, for instance, uh, a lot of modern Chinese art, they set uh, the Opium War as the uh, beginning of modern Chinese art. But we can tell that um, um, uh, the war actually won't change the practice and uh, won't change the taste. Um, I said 90 29 because um, uh, in this year uh, the nationalist government support um, the first uh, national art exhibition which was launched in Shanghai and um, uh, according to the uh, primary material and we also can see that uh, uh, the committee member from the preparation of this uh, exhibition uh, actually a lot of these members are come from the Shanghai art world and I think this is a quite significant um, uh, event uh, because it marked the and also show the official discourse on modern art and uh, from this exhibition uh, we can see that the number of guohua outnumber other categories like uh, oil painting or sculpture. So um, it also uh, 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 revealed the aesthetic ideology embraced um, by the nationalist government. So I think um, 1929 and uh, after the late uh, on the uh, since the late 1920s onward, uh, a lot of Guohua artistic activity, uh, became prominent in the Shanghai Arbor. So I said the 1929 as the beginning. And uh, 19, 
1937, uh, obviously, is because of the war, the Sino-Japanese War. And the war actually generated a great impact on the Shanghai art world. A lot of artistic activity uh, uh, stopped by the war. So uh, as the book focused on artistic activity and the collective uh, power of the art community from uh, Guohua, so I think uh, this short time of period is uh, the golden um, period for the development of Guohua. Okay, and the book is divided into three main chapters plus introduction and conclusion. So why don't we start out uh, by setting the scene, so to speak, for our listeners, by talking about the three main groups of actors or agents who shaped the art world um, and the hierarchies within it. So you named the literati or the ilao, the new merchants and the new intelligentsia slash entrepreneurial class, Mm -hmm. if you will. Tell us more about how you define and divide these three groups and how they in turn shaped the art world. Um, I, uh, as I mentioned in previous uh, questions, um, uh, I find that there's a collective power in the in the Shanghai art world. So I'm trying to find a framework to uh, look at and anal- analyze the, to approach the um, to address the question I'm uh, I wanted to 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 answer. And I find that uh, sociology approach uh, are quite uh, important in this way. Uh, I particularly inspired by Becker, Howard Becker's uh, concept of art world, uh, because uh, he mentioned that art uh, from the production to the uh, circulation and consumption actually involves a lot of agent and actor in uh, in in the process. And Bourdieu's idea is more fo- sophisticated. Uh, he talk about uh, how in the artistic field and different actors and members are they actually in a conflictual uh, position they are competing for resources and they are competing for different position and a artistic field is like other field like the political field uh, is very hierarchical some member they uh, possess more capitals they are on top of the uh, hierarchy while the new member they need some support from the uh, older generation so I uh, I analyze the material, the primary material, I find that there are some uh, famous uh, member. Uh, their name had been uh, mentioned many times frequently in uh, the pre- uh, uh, press media. So I tried to um, uh, divide them into different groups. This actor, uh, they are actually uh, on top of the hierarchy because uh, even they attend uh, intend uh, a exhibition ceremony and opening. Uh, these kind of at- attendance will be mentioned in newspaper. You can imagine they are very famous and also familiar to the reader, newspaper readers. And uh, these, uh, I divided them into three groups because um, uh, uh, the, uh, since the downfall of the Qing Dynasty, uh, we know uh, China uh, uh, transformed into a new society. Society, uh, a new social structure was constructed, and uh, the first group is the literati yilao. They are those who lost their position after the downfall of the Qing Dynasty, and they attracted to Shanghai because it's a heaven 
for the Yilao. They accumulate a lot of、uh, cultural capital、uh, as well as economic capital, and、uh, their name have been mentioned many times in press um, uh, media. And、uh, for instance,、uh, Zhang Daqian was、uh, well known for、uh, his relationship with、uh, Zheng Xi. Zheng Xi is also a Yilao, and and、uh, this Yilao they are quite proud of their. Uh, title, so they mentioned that they are the Yi Lao,、um, and、uh, of course they got the power,、uh, like to consecrate the newcomers, like、uh, to issue the prize list for the new members、uh, and the younger generation. And another group is the new merchants,、um, as we know in the late Qing Dynasty and early、uh, Republican period.、Uh, Commerce became a way to build a strong nations, and wealth also became a very important capital to、um, to elevate one's status in the society. And these new merchants, they uh, uh, for instance, serve as the middleman between、uh, Chinese and、uh, overseas trade. And like Wang Yiting. And he's a new merchant, and he got、uh, multiple identity、uh, merchant artists, and he also a、uh, uh, very prestigious member in the Shanghai art world. And、uh, these merchants they、uh, apply some kind of、uh, commercial tactic in the art world. For instance, organize exhibition for sale, and also they got some power to uh, um, uh, consecrated uh, the uh, young. Generation, and the last one is the new intellectuals, and、uh, they they are they are the the also the、uh, senior member in the art world. They、uh, got a, a degree from the previous、uh, civil examination, but you you know <laughs> the downfall of the Qing Dynasty, and they transform themselves into a new. Elite class, uh, uh, for instance, Ye Gongshuo. He、uh, he got a degree from civil examination, and he also served as a high official in the Republican uh, 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 period uh, for the Nationalist government. And I think、um, uh, at the first chapter, the introduction is tried to、uh, give a, a clear framework about how、uh, I will discuss the、uh, questions and how to set the、uh, the ground for the following、uh, discussions. Great. That kind of also answers a follow-up question that I was wondering about, which is why Bourdieu's sociological ideas about cultural capital and artistic fields and so on were so useful when looking at the institutionalization and legitimization of Guohua.、Um, so I think we'll move on. And、um, I was. <laughs> you know, this is now the inevitable question that、mm-hmm. I suppose everybody was、um, waiting for. We couldn't possibly do this interview, and you couldn't have possibly written the book without addressing the tricky question of what <laughs> Guohua actually is. So、um, now, yeah. So basically, let's talk about the definition, if you will. And I was、yeah. wondering if you could say a few words on that. Um, Guohua、uh, actually is quite、uh, a problematic term, and、uh, according to the material,、uh, we can see Guohua is a new invention. Uh, in the early twenty or the late nineteenth centuries,、uh, is a term、uh, borrowed from 
uh, Japan uh, actually referred to national painting. Um, uh, before the introduction of uh, Xihua, I don't think we need something to distinguish this uh, category of art from other categories because Xuhua always dominated the, 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 the art scene. But uh, the introduction of different categories like uh, uh, sculpture, watercolor, oil painting to the Chinese art art world, and uh, a new term uh, was needed uh, to um, refer to the traditional practice. Uh, the category uh, usually executed uh, with uh, brush and ink and um, the traditional uh, equipments and also on paper or seal. And um, uh, uh, so that's why I think when you have a new term, that means there's some new concept. So what is Guohua actually is the, 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 the book uh, uh, concern. Uh, I want to know how uh, they use different practice and different institution to, to construct the idea and give a, um, a concrete idea about what is Guohua. And um, uh, Guohua actually later on developed into different terms like Zhongguohua uh, uh, in the after uh, the 1949 they used Zhongguohua instead of Guohua and Shuimohua uh, Caimohua and now we have a new term is the contemporary ink <laughs> art and um, so all these terms are very tricky and also problematic but it's uh, it's interesting is uh, that uh, they they uh, the layered meaning attached to this term to institutionalization as practice you reveal in incredible detail how guohua institutionalized by way of looking at three different practices organizing art societies publishing art periodicals and establishing art colleges unfortunately we won't have the time to discuss all three phenomena in great detail but i would like you to talk a little bit about all of them especially because you've amassed such an incredible amount of data um, as seen in the five appendices in your book. So the first one is on art societies established during the years 1929 to 36. What struck you as significant or noteworthy, if you will, when you collected and evaluated all this data on art societies that, the found, that were founded during these years? Mm-hmm. Um, I set this as the first chapter because, um, uh, as I mentioned, my interest is the production and uh, consumption of art. So I set uh, three different set, uh, uh, chapters. Um, and this uh, chapter two uh, is on the productions um, and uh, how um, collective power uh, was uh, formed during this period. And I find that uh, art society is a very powerful um uh, institution. Uh, it gathers different uh, artists, uh, different talents, and also different uh, experts from all over the nation who settle in Shanghai. And um, also, uh, our society is a, a very active actor in the art world. Uh, they uh, um, organize um, exhibitions to showcase the artwork. So that is the circulation of artwork. And also they publish societal um, 
magazines, this is became a platform for artists to um, uh, convey uh, or to communicate with the public about the uh, aesthetic they embrace. And uh, this member are also member, a lot of this member from the art society are also the member who uh, talk at the art college. And art college is an um, important institution for uh, uh, for for nurturing the new generation of artists in in modern China, and so this chapter focus on is the production of art, and the next chapter is on circulation exhibition became a very uh, important channel for artists to uh, uh, showcase their artwork, and the uh, and the chapter uh, four is on consumption. So so it's from production circulation to consumption. And um, uh, the data that I collected uh, show um, uh, that uh, during this period, uh, roughly 1929 to 1936, um, the number of society, our society increased uh, dramatically. And uh, of course, a lot of this society are short-lived and um, uh it suggests that there's a very severe competition in the art world. So it's like what uh, Bourdieu's uh, say, uh, they are always in a conflictual um, situation and relation, and they compete for resources, and they compete for position. And uh, so this is one of the perspective I want to add to our understanding of modern Chinese art. Um, uh, it, show, uh, it shows that uh, the transformation of art or uh, artistic practice is not only affected by introduction of Western art or um, um, the revival or the preservation of um, Chinese culture, but also uh, conditioned by the competition between different actors in the same um, art world. Uh, for com- competition, each uh, art society, they will define their position. They will not take the same stand as the others. So uh, in this chapter, I focus on uh, two important art society, the Bean Society and the Chinese Painting Society. And uh, we can see that they uh, uh, they position themselves different uh, from uh, those uh, society established in the early uh, 20th century, uh, uh, which focus on um, uh, preservation of Chinese accents. Uh, neither they are. Uh, 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 they, they also they, this uh, society also reject to um, uh, in alignment with the reformers who uh, with, who. Uh, promote um, westernization of Chinese art. So they choose a different position and they position themselves as new Chinese artists. And uh, they uh, uh, promoted their aesthetic as they um, uh, they preserve Chinese art, but at the same time, they look at a different culture. And also, um, uh, they will use a new attitude toward 
the practice of Guo Hua. Uh, in the past, um, um, uh, artists always uh, expressed, uh, 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 always regarded the, uh, the practicing of Guo Hua or painting as a kind of entertainment or leisure. But in um, from these two association, we can see that they position themselves as professional painter. Um, they uh, took Guo Hua or the practice of Guo Hua seriously and like a new academic discipline. So um, uh, I think uh, these chapters uh, uh, discusses about um, uh, the arts organization, arts society, and how the society uh, published uh, periodicals and also uh, uh, the member from this society uh, talk at the art college and this is a kind of uh, institutionalization mm-hmm. how to what is Guohua and uh, it is through this practice they um, uh, offer uh, and they institutionalize the ideas of Guohua and how closely these um, three were related um, becomes really very clear, I thought, uh, with this one example of the Bee Society, uh, which I found particularly enlightening, <laughs> um, and then t- entertaining journal, Mi Feng, or the Bee Journal. Um, and so, yeah, maybe you could say a few words on this as just as an example. Mm-hmm. Um, the Bee Journal is a very interesting <laughs> entertaining journal. <laughs> And uh, when I first encountered uh, the uh, journal, I find this interesting because the format is actually quite similar to those pictorial uh, newspaper. Uh, that kind of newspaper is for entertainment. And uh, and uh, but it's a very important outlet. Some important uh, essay published in the B Journal um, from the. Journal's uh, cover, uh, we can see that it marketed the journal as an entertainment journal. Um, some famous uh, uh, ladies' portrait <laughs> used to decorate the, the, the cover, and some uh, senior uh, prestigious member from the art world are also used to this, uh, decorate the cover. So uh, I think for the reader, when they look at the format and look at the cover uh, um, design, they know this is a kind of um, entertainment journal. But uh, in fact, in, in, in the journal, there's some important uh, uh, essay uh, about Guo Hua was published. Um, uh, however, the, uh, from the editorial um, content, we can see uh, the journal actually have no a very concrete or substantial editorial ideas. Uh, um, but later on, uh, a lot of this committee, uh, the editor from the B Journal, they launched another new journal, it's Guo Hua Monthly. And from the book, uh, from the cover design and the content, it showed that um, uh, they have a very clear directions about um, the journal. And they tried to um, uh, create an image for the journal and as well as the uh, art society because this journal are actually the societal journal. And uh, 
uh, Guohua Monthly and then Guohua are published by the Chinese Painting Society. And the editor um, have a very clear directions about um, the journal. Unlike uh, uh, B Journal, Guohua Monthly and then Guohua, they uh, publish uh, essays and also some news uh, uh, of the member from the art scene. And uh, uh, for instance, they even invite um, some oil painter uh, to collaborate to uh, for a special issue on the idea of landscape painting, and I I I think that this is a quite um, uh, it shows a very different um, uh, uh, understanding or a, a different stories of the uh, Shanghai art world. Uh, actually, Guohua they can com- uh, collaborate with oil painter, and they uh, the the, the the journal became a platform for all these discussions between members from different uh, from the from different societies. And just a few words on the art colleges too, in particular. Yeah, uh, art college. Uh, uh, at the beginning, uh, most of the art college focus on um, West Western art training, oil painting, for instance, uh, because uh, it's easy to market. Uh, w- once you've got this technique, you can work in the commercial sector. But later on, uh, in from the 1920s uh, onward, we can see uh, Guohua uh, previously was taught by Teacher uh, taught taught by private tuitions, and uh, in the Republican period, this kind of um, uh, teaching are also uh, included in the educational uh, curriculum, the new art curriculum in the in, in New China, and uh, curriculum is, is something which can reflect what Guohua means and how how. How how the knowledge of Gohua could be uh, taught uh, systematically through different uh, courses, and from these colleges, uh, uh, we can see how they also use uh, college as a uh, institution to uh, institutionalize Gohua practice uh, through teaching. So the new generation, uh, they they will know what is Gohua. For instance, during that time, that they need to learn. Uh, literature, <laughs> they need to learn philosophy, and also, of course, a sunshade and a birds and flowers and figure painting. But uh, you can see it's not only about technique, it's also about uh, um, uh, some uh, um, Chinese knowledge, some knowledge about uh, art, philosophy, and aesthetics. So um, this part uh, actually is focused on how Guohua curriculum has been developed during this period. I want to follow up on this just very briefly because what you just described, this m- more holistic approach to uh, teaching, that's in line with how literatis uh, of previous times uh, understood themselves. Is that correct? Or is there a break in some way in the curriculum and the teaching of the art colleges in comparison to earlier literati 
Uh-huh. Uh, earlier literati, obviously, they, they are quite uh, interdisciplinary. <laughs> and in the early 20th century, the new uh, educational system uh, actually uh, divided uh, different knowledge in different discipline. And in a way, it, uh, you, you, you can't train a literati <laughs> anymore. Um, but for the the I uh, from but for the this tradition continue uh, uh, actually also realized in the new curriculum is that uh, art is not just about uh, skill but also about uh, your thought how to how to your uh, uh, your understanding of the tradition for instant art history and how you understand the philosophy of Chinese. Uh, tradition and how this can be uh, uh, embedded in your uh, practice, and uh, uh, in some way, actually, is uh, the literati's view on art. But I don't think that um, um, the art, the, the student trained in this curriculum, it could be a literati themselves, because uh, you know there's an other discipline is called Chinese literature <laughs> at that time. So even though they they got some training in literature or poetry, but they are not uh, as good as um, their uh, uh, predecessor. In the next chapter, you go on to talk about a sea change in cultural practice, bringing paintings from a private art world to the public sphere, thereby not just changing methods of display, enabling a new viewing experience, shaping public taste, etc., but also encouraging the commercialization of art on a whole different scale in comparison to earlier periods. And again, you substitute your research with an appendix of exhibitions held during the, 19, uh, the year 1919 and 1937. Could you tell our listeners a bit more about the commercial world, the social networks, um, as well as the government and so on and so forth, um, who all encouraged a veritable exhibition culture and maybe also what each was hoping to gain from it mm-hmm. um, I think different uh, exhibition culture uh, is a new thing and also a new concept introduced to China in the late 19th century when uh, the Chinese government the Qing government participate in uh, a lot of international expositions uh, and uh, uh, the welfare and uh, in uh, this kind of um, international art fair, international uh, exposition, uh, the the function or the purpose of this exhibition is to showcase the products um, from China or from from, from China and uh, to construct the uh, a national identity and also is for uh, for trading. So um, uh, the commercial element has already embedded in exhibition, and um, the the early exhibition organized on art objects in China. Uh, some. Uh, Some of these exhibitions are launched by the commercial, uh, the merchants in Shanghai, and like Wang Yiting, uh, Li Pingshu. Uh, I've mentioned the name uh, at the beginning uh, in first chapter because they are the quite um, uh, important actor in the art scene. They apply commercial tactics in uh, into the art world, and so uh, to exhibit uh, artwork. Uh, is a new 
idea because uh, you know in the past um, the viewing opportunity is confined in private space, uh, not much in the public space. Um, so you can imagine that if artists are going to showcase their work to to a publics, um, they will going to have a quite different um, uh, audience, expected audience. And uh, all this kind of factor uh, actually will determine how artists um, to choose their style and how they build their personal style. And uh, exhibition was also a new kind of um, capital. Uh, if you know the knowledge, how to use make use uh, exhibition, uh, which can uh, gain help the artist to gain reputation, to promote the art- artist, and also to promote not just individual artists but also uh, art society, a uh, art groups, and also nation. So um, in this chapter, uh, I discuss about different party how they make use of um, exhibition uh, as a means to. Um, for different purpose. For instance, the government, they apply exhibition uh, to construct national identity. Um, in the 1930s, um, two important individuals, uh, uh, Liu Haishu and Xi Beihong, uh, uh, with the support from the government, they organized um, contemporary Chinese painting exhibition in Europe. And so... Um, if you you're going to uh, bring the Chinese artworks to uh, international audience, um, uh, you will think about what kind of art will represent China. So in- inevitably, um, they choose Guohua as the only art form to include it in the exhibition, and this is also a requirement from the uh, European. Uh, counterpart uh, 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 collaborator, they uh, they don't they didn't want to see something um, which uh, like the uh, Western style painting from China, but they want to see the authentic Chinese artworks. Um, uh, therefore, the um, uh, confirmation of the value of uh, Guohua in a way also assert its status in. Uh, in China, and uh, for uh, our society, uh, exhibition is uh, also a way to promote the aesthetic embraced by the art society. So uh, there's several, many, the number of exhibition increase uh, dramatically, um, also hand in hand with the increasement in. Um, different uh, Guohua society. And um, uh, I focus on a um, uh, uh, art society, the Bean Society, for instance, and how the Bean Society organized uh, uh, societal um, uh, exhibitions. And we can see that um, from the empirical data uh, provided in the uh, appendix, you can see um, the the format of exhibition uh, was standardized. For instance, it always um, uh, lasts for three days to one week, so it's very short. And exhibit will be renewed <laughs> every day or every two days. So you can see they change the, the exhibit list 
continually during the the show, and uh, this practice um, uh, obviously uh, influenced by. Uh, the commercial aspect of exhibition because uh, audience or the visitor they uh, view the exhibition and they bore some of the <laughs> exhibit and so you have to make replacement and um, the empirical data also show uh, that an exhibition uh, for instance uh, some kind of specific exhibition uh, very popular uh, during different uh, seasons uh, for instance, in summer, fan exhibitions are very popular uh, because fan uh, fan painting is a kind of uh, functional and also is uh, a, a, a indicator of state social status. Um, you can imagine that it's like a, what what branch of uh, handbag uh, you are using <laughs> at that time is what what uh, who, uh, whose painting are on the fan you are using. Um, so, um, uh, for uh, our society, uh, this is the way to gain some reputation. Uh, for instance, if they can include uh, most of the famous artists in their group exhibition, uh, this obviously will uh, um, uh, elevate its social status. And also um, in, in the competitive uh, art world, and they can stand out from other different social uh, artistic groups. For individuals, uh, for individual artists, um, um, the rise of exhibition culture um, also uh, uh, generate great impact on artists artistic practice, um, you can imagine that uh, if you need to organize a uh, solo exhibition, uh, um, for instance, twice a, uh, a year, and you have to produce uh, over 200 uh, pieces of exhibit. So artists will be very productive and um, uh, constrained by uh, the exhibition uh, culture, and they need to show uh, new artwork to the audience. Uh, for for the audience and the visitor, they are expected something new for exhibition. And um, in this chapter, I use Zhang Daqian and Yu Jianhua as case studies to show um, how they use exhibition to construct their own personal persona. <laughs> and, uh, Zhang Daqian, uh, you can see, it's very funny, and he presented himself as a uh, traditional literati, and uh, he's um, uh, he he didn't care about material gain, but. Uh, in reality, he cared about fame and also about uh, commercial uh, economic gains in um, in exhibition through exhibition. And Yu Jianhua, he also used different tactics to present um, um, his artwork to the public. Um, for instance, uh, he in, uh, invite um, some celebrities and prestigious uh, cultural leaders to attend his exhibitions and uh, to pen reviews on his artwork. As I mentioned in the introductions, um, these celebrities and cultural leaders, they uh, possess um, symbolic capital. So their presence in the exhibition or they, um, uh, their support for the artist's exhibition is a kind of um, uh, a process of consecration or recognition of the artist. In a way, they can elevate the artist's state status 
particular the young artist um, status in the in the art world, and for um, so for individual artists, art、uh, exhibition is a way to gain fame. And also money, <laughs> and uh, uh, society for artistic society,、uh, it is also a way to gain fame and also to promote their aesthetics、uh, ideology,、uh, as well as to gain some、uh, commercial gain. And for、uh, for the nation, uh, uh, exhibition is a way to construct. The person,、uh, national identity, um, uh, um, uh, to to showcase the to showcase the、uh, artistic accomplishment、uh, to the international audience. Great. I want to follow up on this because you know, being based in Berlin and at the Asian Art Museum,、um, it, this is incredibly interesting because usually, you know, in In England and as well as Germany and other parts of Europe, it's Leo Haisu who who、mm-hmm. is the kind of representative of the Chinese government coming to Europe. But for France, it's Subei Hong、mm-hmm. in particular, you see, and and so there's there's almost a divide between those two as well.、Mm-hmm. So I was wondering if you could say a few more words on on. Subehong、uh, and、um, from the primary material, it shows that they they are the rival. Um, uh, uh, but the same purpose, they 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 rival with same purpose is to represent、uh, as a med- mediator between、uh, Chinese government and and、uh, European、uh, institutions to um uh, organize and um、uh, serving like a curator. Uh, to organize to get a different kind of artwork and to showcase、uh, what is a contemporary Chinese art in the、uh, early twentieth century,、uh, Xu Beihong,、uh, I think his connection with、uh, France is very obvious because he received training in in、um, France, and Liu Haishu, and he's a, a A、uh, very smart、uh, young artist,、uh, you, you know,、um, he established the art college and he's very active, and also um, um,、uh, support by the government to visit different um, um, uh, art academy in Europe and also in Japan. And、uh, for Liu Haishu's show, for instance,、uh, the process、uh, of the、uh, preparation is that they. Um, uh, Liu Haishu, he、um, determined what kind of art should include in the exhibition, and this w- was quite controversial. And also,、uh, the Shanghai Art World, like the Chinese、um, Painting Association,、uh, led by Wang Yiting, they um, um, published an open.、Uh, Letter to Liu Haishu, uh, uh, complaining that uh, the process of、uh, organizing this exhibition is not transparent enough. So, in response to their request, Liu Haishu, uh, eventually, um, opened the call, and but you know, still even opened the. Call and still he 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 have the power to de- determine what kind of art should be included.、Um, I think all exhibition、uh, cannot be say is neutral because、um, different party and actor in、uh, in the 
uh, involved in the exhibition, they got the right uh, and all those, also the authorities to determine what kind of art should be included in this exhibition. Um, uh, so uh, obviously, uh, Xu Beihong and Liu Haishu, they pick up some painting um from their um, social network, <laughs> so um, and uh, include uh, the painting from their friends, the fellow artists, and uh, and their fellow artists will also include their students' work in the exhibition. So uh, this is how they organize the exhibition. But it's also uh, quite important is that this exhibition uh, gained quite. Uh, uh, Good response in Europe, and it also shaped how the Europeans' um, view of contemporary Chinese art uh, or Guo Hua uh, in uh, in this period. And uh, most importantly, and also this exhibition also contributed to the formation of modern Chinese painting collection in Europe. <laughs> Yes, great. Thank you. So to kind of sum up, wrap this up, art periodicals, uh, art societies and uh, schools, um, as well as exhibitions, all combined resulted in a really matured art world that encouraged the production, distribution and consumption of guohua, as uh, we started out um, this interview too. And so in chapter four, you go on to talk about money really <laughs> and reveal how how uh, price lists were written produced and distributed and so i wanted you to share this fascinating insight um into the price lists and then also um how the pricing of artworks mm-hmm. worked um uh, this chapter is quite interesting and uh even a uh, reader have no any uh, background knowledge of uh, modern Chinese art. Uh, I think is uh, this uh, the material presented in this chapter uh, will interest uh, the readers. And uh, in this uh, chapter, I focus on the consumption of Guohua and how different kind of co- um, uh, capital, like symbolic capital, uh, cultural capital, uh, social capital, uh, could be converted into economic capital and also symbolic capital too. And um, uh, the market uh, uh, is fascinating during this uh, the Republican period because um, it is during this period, um, uh, Price Lead uh, will publish publicly in uh, press media, like newspaper and magazine. So it's easier for us to collect the data. And these price lists are written in great, detail <laughs> and um, and it, it also showed that the artists are not ashamed to um, exchange their artwork for money and which is a, which was a taboo in uh, the previous um, uh, in Imperial China uh, even though in Imperial China actually artists also exchange their artwork for different kind of material gain and uh, uh, so the, in this period I think the the artists uh, uh, published their price list because they regarded um, practicing art is a kind of professional uh, uh, practice uh, like a lawyer and lawyer you can also have a price and um, so they, uh, p- the pr- price list uh, is a quite indigenous practice in China 
and the price was determined by the market because in that time I we 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 can't see any intervention from the government. Unlike in Japan, some price may be uh, actually uh, uh, influenced by by the state. And uh, in China, if the price were determined by the markets, uh, and we can see at the taste uh, what what kind of art uh, uh, interests uh, uh, will interest uh, the audience, they will really uh, spend money to to buy. And uh, from the price list, uh, it also re- re- reflects something quite different from the standard. Um, uh, narrative of Chinese art. For instance, uh, a very highly regarded artist and his style had been uh, practiced by the orthodox school in the late Qing period. Um, but his price could be, if an artist paint in the style of Nizan in Republican period, you can uh, uh, get some kind of discounts because Nizan's work uh, style is very um, uh, economic. He used very few brushwork for his painting. So you can see some, the consideration in the market. And uh, the date, the, the information from the price list also um, provides a lot of information, like what kind of style was priced highly and what kind of style are preferred by the are popular in the market. Um, uh, for instance, like uh, 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 blue and green landscape, which was um, not quite um, um, uh, promoted by the literati taste, but you know it, you you need to use more uh, color and skill for blue and green um, style. So you need to pay more if you want to have one one of this painting, and. Um, um, it, it's also interesting that in the market, the four ones um, in the um, debate of what is more uh, the in the debates about the value of modern Chinese uh, painting. Hello, hello. Sorry, um, we make an interview. I hope it doesn't hurt you. Very quickly. For instance, the four ones uh, style. Uh, which uh, have been criticized severely by the reformers. Um, but in the market, we can see uh, some artists, they, um, they, they present themselves as a lawyer follower or four ones, like uh, um, uh, uh, Feng Chaoyang, Wu Hufan, uh, their price uh, on top of the um, the least, and they are the their painting are the most expensive in the Shanghai art world, and they all claim themselves as their loyal follower of uh, the four one orthodox. So uh, this is provide a very different perspective to, for us to think about the value or the taste of um, Guohua in Republican period, and um, uh, 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 another uh, interesting point is that uh, once you have an um, open market, and then uh, there there will be more different kind of uh, position, uh, which uh, some some of the people or individual uh, they serve as the mediator in in the market, um, and uh, this is also a way to provide uh, some job opportunity 
in the uh, in the Shanghai art world, and uh, consumption is also a way to um, preserve some artwork and also uh, to provide um, uh, economic support for the the art world to sustain. So I think uh, it's a quite important part in the in the um, autonomous and um, uh, healthy, mature art world. And unfortunately, um, uh, because of the war, uh, we can see the number of uh, price lists published uh, 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 decreased dramatically. And um, uh, I can see that uh, actually after the war, some artists continue to sold their painting in their open market in Shanghai. But eventually, it, it is after 1949, the establishment of the Republican uh, PRC, that um, uh, selling artwork in the market is no longer exist, and the market moved to other cities like Hong Kong. <laughs> And in fact, you end your book um, with the year 1937 as well, the breakout of the Sino-Japanese War. Um, um, Thank you so much for this really excellent uh, interview and this amazing book. Um, Now, uh, tell us um, what you're working on now after after finishing this book um, and what your research includes. Yeah, um, I'm not working on a project on landscape painting. Uh, landscape has always been my research interest because um, uh, landscape it seems to be quite neutral, but uh, in fact, it's quite uh, political. <laughs> like um, now, I'm uh, working on a project on the correlationship between landscape painting, landscape aesthetic nationalism and modern tourism. I use different famous uh, scenic sites, um, particularly those in the uh, southeast China, um, for instance, like Huangshan and Yandang, uh, and use this site as an uh, entry point. Um, uh, this site, uh, uh, the place that uh, lots of different human activity took place, and um, in the Republican period, is um, from. Uh, it seems that uh, a lot of artists visit uh, Yandang, for instance, and they also uh, paint uh, landscape painting based on the scenic side. Um, so I I want to know why these artists uh, start um, uh, visiting new site and how this site uh, had been uh, singled out by the government uh, for uh, modern tourism and how um, the Chinese uh, landscape aesthetic can be uh, employed by the government to construct a national perspective to or national ways to um, uh, to to view beautiful scenes and uh, famous mountain. Um, so it's uh, it's about the how nationalist government also use art as a way uh, for uh, political propaganda to create and construct some um, political ideology. Great. Very much looking forward to uh, your next book. And for now, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me. Thank you very much.